0: Father, we do worship you. Thank you so much for sending your son into this old, dark, dirty, sin infested, disease infested world so that he could redeem us, that he could provide redemption for humanity, for all those who would believe he would lay down his life, provide them the righteousness they need, provide them the sacrifice they need. Lord, we worship you for what you have done in Christ. May us today, but also this entire season, focus our attention on Christ, on the truth of Him, of His advent to this earth. Lord, may we focus primarily on that. Lord, I know there's going to be family and friends and celebrations and lots of food, but Lord, we pray that we would never stop focusing on Jesus Christ, lived and died for us. We ask this in His name, amen. You may be seated. Well, a wonderful time of the year. You know, I mentioned this last week, but I had planned originally just to barrel through Matthew, but I just can't help spend at least a couple of Sundays talking about our Savior's Advent, the truths and the stories that surround the arrival of Jesus Christ to this earth. It's such a blessed time for us to think of Jesus and all that He's accomplished for us. I looked at my notes, and it's been some years since we actually considered the stories that are before us in Luke chapter 2. I know that we do read the first eight verses every year during our Christmas Eve service, but we haven't spent a lot of time, especially on the following passage, so that's what I want to do this week and next week. and Look at those passages, the stories that follow the birth of Christ. There's probably no song in the Bible regarding the birth of Jesus that we are more familiar with than the one that we're looking at today. In fact, several of the songs that we sang today had this phrase in it, verse 14 of Luke 2, glory to God in the highest. Even if you didn't grow up as a believer in a Christian family, you probably heard that phrase at least around Christmas time. This phrase is very familiar to us, even if you're not a Christian. I think it's reasonable to assume that the angel's song probably consisted of more words and more singing, what we have recorded here. These are probably a chorus or a summary. This is the inspired part. The Spirit didn't see fit to put all those other words and song in there, but what we have is exactly what we need and what is necessary for our lives. The Spirit gave us this story. The story involves shepherds not far from Bethlehem tending over a flock, God included in the night of our Savior's birth. And really it is that surrounding story that makes this song so beautiful, makes this song stand out. Like I said just before this, verses 1 through 8, the birth of Jesus. There in Bethlehem, the young family is uh, down there with the animals. They wrapped him in swaddling cloths, made a manger into a crib, laid him there. Last night I was thinking about this and imagining, you know, just Mary and Joseph there by themselves. Joseph helping Mary give birth to this baby. I went to sleep thinking about this, and at some point in the night I dreamed that I helped my wife give birth in our bedroom. That's impossible nowadays, but I had this thought in my head, this dominating idea of what Joseph would have went through there that night helping his wife birth the Savior. And uh, this beautiful little tender moment where uh, the baby came out and he wrapped him up, probably fed him at some point, and then laid him down to sleep in that little uh, crib, that little makeshift crib, that trough, really. Well, that had happened. And after that, we read the story of the shepherds watching their flock at night. What well, we just sang about... Moments ago. Let me read to you out of Luke, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. Follow along if you would as I read aloud. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. The beautiful reality about this story is that it happened to commoners, to the humble. God's angelic host visited a humble people, farmers really as it were, what we might call blue-collar people. It's in their context, in the countryside of Bethlehem, it is in that humble setting that The Most High God's Shekinah glory shone down. This is what is beautiful about this story. It didn't take place on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. It didn't take place in the wealthy suburbs of Jerusalem among the gilded or the gaudy or the religious elite. God revealed Himself to the humble. And this is a template, isn't it? This is the paradigm God reveals Himself to the humble. The rich, we hear Zechariah singing it earlier, the rich must abandon their riches. The proud and powerful to come to Christ to, to receive a revelation of God, they must humble themselves. They must abandon their accomplishments. They must lay them, as it were, as a gift at the feet of Christ. Proud and powerful must abandon these things. We learn about the wise men a few years later. They didn't flaunt their wealth, they didn't come and show off their wealth. They came and they rejoiced, and they revered, and they gave, and they obeyed. They humbled themselves. All of us, any standing, any credentials that we think we might have, we lay them aside, we turn from these things, and we humble ourselves before the Almighty Savior. We become like these shepherds, poor, impoverished, having little to nothing. And right here at the beginning of Jesus' life, we have this beautiful gospel aroma. Salvation, revelation, truth comes to those who are Humble. It's just a startling contrast. We see this idea, and you just go back in your mind of what was happening that night. That night, it's dark. That night was not illuminated with all kinds of lights, electric lights. had not been harnessed at that point. It had been dark for many hours probably. This took place in the middle of the night, the language indicates. So there, was, there were no lights out there. There certainly weren't... Neighbors like I have down in EVA Beach shooting fireworks throughout the night. <laughs> Nothing was happening to light up the sky except for stars. And suddenly, in the middle of this darkness, there shone a light brighter than we can even imagine. You think even symbolically about the darkness even of these shepherds. Shepherds probably would be more akin to what we think of as As cowboys, they would travel with the flock. They would move around from place to place and wouldn't have time to go home and shower off. They too were dark and filthy. They smelled like the sheep. They slept on the ground around the fire and went weeks if not months without cleaning themselves. So we have this dark night, the filthy sheep, the filthy shepherds, and suddenly this beautiful, pure angel full of the Shekinah light of God, appears. As we have this in our imagination, I want us to notice a few things. Perhaps I'm going to write these down. Maybe you have them written down from some years ago when we looked at this. First of all, I want you to notice the kind of people God saves. The kind of people God saves. We need to know something about these guys, these first century shepherds. Like I said, they would have been traveling around with these sheep, These shepherds were most likely oriented about one or two miles outside of Bethlehem, a little village there outside of Jerusalem. Some people have suggested that these shepherds were watching over the sheep to prepare them for sacrifice, for the sacrifice at the temple a few miles away. However, there's nothing in Scripture that tells us this. Uh, You know, sometimes we try to do a little more work than what's required of us. We do want to understand what the people would have understood back then as they read it, but sometimes we push it a little hard and we come up with theories and ideas that just aren't indicated in Scripture. And there's nothing in this passage that tells us that these were sacrificial sheep. In fact, I think if you sort of start focusing on the, 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 the specialness of these sheep or the, the, how special these shepherds were, you kind of miss the point. These were plain shepherds. These were nobodies. These were just a few farmers roaming around stinking it up, walking around through the night, sleeping, just doing their thing. These were normal nobodies. I think we missed that point if we try to make some importance about who they were or who they weren't. These are just shepherds, and that's the point. Run-of-the-mill shepherds, nobodies really. Now, shepherds were not hated back then. They weren't despised, perhaps like tax collectors. They weren't even the poorest of society. They were not necessarily despised in any way, but they certainly were not wealthy, and they certainly were not part of the religious or social elite. They simply were some, uh, some among the millions of working people back then, living hand to mouth. They simply did what they could do to survive. And so we have to ask the question, why would God reveal Himself to these people? shepherds i think the main thing is something i pointed out already is that essentially these are a group of nobodies there would have been tens of thousands of shepherds all across israel commoners to the max why would god choose these commoners why not pharisees why not religious elite why not the people at the temple like some priests Why not come there up on the Temple Mount? Why not some of the politically elite, if Jesus is king, why not to Herod or Sadducees or even to someone in Rome? Why? Because God chooses the things and the people who will best highlight His glory and His power, not theirs. God chooses the things and the people of this world who will illustrate His own power. Paul would say years later, God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong, 1 Corinthians 1, 27. Paul would tell us later on, as he talked about his own struggle, his own pains, he says, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. These shepherds are chosen because they're the perfect candidates to illustrate God's power and glory. I think there is another reason why God chose these shepherds. The Bible, in the Bible, there is a history of God choosing shepherds. David was a shepherd, remember? Remember? In fact, David was the prototype of what would come later, the king of Israel. David himself was a shepherd. You read in 1 Samuel chapter 16, you have all these brothers of David who are older, who are more educated, who are trained for battle. They're bigger, they're stronger, they're more famous, in fact. And then you have this sunburnt shepherd who's not even there to be considered as chosen of God. He's off stinking it up with the sheep. He's off, they have to run and fetch him and bring him. Here he is, sunburnt. They bring him to Samuel. God took him from shepherding the sheep to shepherd the people of God. Psalm 78, he chose David, his servant, took him from the sheepfolds. Now this, of course, becomes a template for what would happen later on. This is a foreshadowing of what would happen even with Jesus. Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd, right? John chapter 10. He says, I am the good shepherd. He identified with that common, dirty, humiliating work. He is the one who gets down in amongst the sheep and protects them and feeds them and births them. A humble job. But that's what God chooses for his glory. I'll read to you another passage from Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 31, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In the first advent of Christ, Jesus comes as a shepherd, not as a king. He comes as someone who's humble, comes as someone who's a servant. And so God chooses these shepherds to foreshadow this arrival, this man who would become the good shepherd. You know, we don't need to go any more length to this. You, get this. you get this point. Just follow Luke's account here, reading through the book of Luke. Even from the beginning, you find out who does God visit, who does God come to, who does God reveal Himself to. First, it's an old priest. It's an elderly wife, a, a woman, a poor, uneducated girl. Now here, a group of filthy shepherds later on, a couple elderly people in the temple. You want the Word of God. You want God to show up in your life. You want to follow Christ even. Humble yourself. You don't come to God parading all your accomplishments. You don't come to God handing Him, demonstrating for Him all that you've done for Him and He ought to be blessed to have you in His kingdom. No, you come to Him on bended knee. You come to Him and say, Lord, please have mercy on me, a sinner. These humble shepherds receive this revelation because of their humility. Not because of their accomplishment, but because of their lack of accomplishment. God visits the humble. That's the kind of people God visits, the kind of people even that God saves. Number two, what else do we learn? Number two, the kind of thing things God says. God spoke through these angels to these shepherds, You see this beginning of verse 9. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled, filled with great fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Verse 13, Suddenly there was with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, I mentioned this a moment ago, but you can't help but notice this contrast between darkness and light in this story. Darkness and light are a theme in the Bible, in fact, if you read earlier in Luke, what you find, there's Zechariah's song, and he pictures the, the world in waiting. We sing songs about this, the world in waiting, as a world that's waiting, but a world that's in darkness. The Savior has not come yet. And so Zechariah sings, because of the tender mercy of God, the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Here's this parallel. Luke didn't just accidentally notice this, accidentally write this. He's he's giving us this darkness and light, light motif, this theme of darkness and light. And here's the world in darkness, just like those shepherds were sleeping in darkness, sitting in darkness. They're out there in the darkness of night and the darkness of sin, the darkness of the world, and suddenly... The glory of God appears. Christ, the light, appears to guide us to peace with God. This is, again, emblematic. It's symbolic, really, of what happens of, in Christ's advent. It happens even in the hearts of human souls that we sit in darkness until the light of Christ comes. Reformers had a Latin phrase they used from the Book of Job: "Post Tenebris Lux," after darkness, light. And they used it to describe what happens to the human soul. There's darkness until the Holy Spirit comes and regenerates and changes and brings light—the truth of the gospel to their heart, the truth of Christ born, lived, died, resurrected, and He brings that there is great light. And here is this story that's giving us this picture of the gospel. We sit in darkness, and then suddenly there is great light. If you were to explain to me, many of you are believers. Most of you, I would say, in this room are believers. And you, you, as you describe how, how God saved you, you would describe it maybe even using terms of darkness and light. I sat in darkness. This is what my life was before. I didn't know. I was confused. I was in sin. I had no idea. And then God spoke to me. The truth of the gospel came to me. Shown light on my heart. Very similar to what we see in this picture. Well, that night, a, a bright angel shone. It was one angel at first, right? One angel showed up, and there was great brightness. The bright Shekinah glory. How do they respond? Well, the response is always when people see the divine Shekinah glory. The response is fear. They were Filled with great fear, verse 9, as with all visions of God. There is no casual encounter like some people talk about today. There's no casual encounter with God. God shows up, the bright Shekinah, perfect eternal glory shows up, and they immediately are aware of their sin, their filth, and they're filled with fear. Same thing happened with Zechariah, same thing happened with Mary earlier, same thing happened with Joseph. You go back throughout the Old Testament, Gideon, Moses, a host of other visions, Isaiah. In the future, you'll see people like John. Fear is always accompanied when they see the divine Jekinah glory. We humans see this, we have fear. We don't know who this angel was. It's not told us which angel this is. Gabriel came to Mary and Joseph and Zechariah as the divine messenger, so perhaps it's Gabriel again. But... Luke doesn't tell us which angel. Names of angels are very rarely mentioned. And they're only mentioned when it matters. So again, we shouldn't be consumed with some sort of side pursuit. Angels' names rarely matter. This angel shows up. We don't know which angel it is, but he shows up with a message. And it's not the angel's message. It's not the angel's prerogative. This angel essentially essentially is an errand boy who's come to deliver a message from God. angel speaks. What does he say? He says, What all angels say when they first encounter the fear of humans, don't be afraid. Don't fear. This is unmistakably the glory of God. They're aware of their sin and unworthiness, and they're afraid. And angel says, Don't be afraid. There's no judgment I'm bringing to you Good news, look at verse 10, the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This is where we get the idea of the word gospel, good news. Really, more contemporary translation would be great news, great joy. Now, if we had been walking through the beginning, from the beginning of Luke, we would know this formulation of good news and great joy for all people. It's used in the book of John as well. Something wonderful has happened, and this good news of great joy is indeed for all the people, Jews and Gentiles. Now, the gospel is great news, isn't it? story of Christ's arrival, His birth, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, this, this is great news. But it's a great news with an asterisk. It's great news only for those who see their need for this great news. You ever talk to somebody about salvation, given the gospel, and you realize your first job is to get them lost? They don't even know that they're lost. They don't see their need of Christ because they don't think that they're lost. They think they're fine. They live in their sin. They, They don't have any needs of Jesus. So, the good news, the gospel is not good news to them. It's just some sort of sacred story, much like you would read from other sacred texts. It's really not that big of a deal. That's why it starts with the idea of these shepherds. This whole story begins with these people who are very aware of who they aren't. They're nobody special. And there's great fear. And so, when this angel announces, it's I'm not bringing to you judgment, I'm bringing to you good news. Their hearts must have leapt with joy. I bring you good news. I bring you great joy for all people. There were many people in that day that had stopped believing in the Messiah. There were many people who had started looking for a different kind of Messiah, a political Messiah, stopped looking for a spiritual Messiah. They were looking to a physical kingdom, not a spiritual kingdom. And so when Christ came, when the gospel came, when the message of Jesus began to be preached all over, both in the time of Jesus and then after the time of Jesus, they didn't receive it as great news. In fact, they rejected it. So we have to start with the beginning and understand our need, and then this message of these angels does indeed become great. The greatness of the gospel can lose its greatness even in the minds and hearts of believers, can't it? You felt that. I felt it. Even as a a believer, even as a mature believer, you go through life and and the gospel just becomes one of those things you take for granted. You don't reflect on the beauty and the, the amazing truth of the gospel. You forget. And yet this is a beautiful story. The light has shined in the darkness. This great news should grip us just like it did those shepherds. It should propel us to know more about the gospel, to know more about Jesus. The gospel is not just good in the sense it's a ticket to heaven. The gospel is good because it's a whole way of living a Godward and humble life. Well, the angel is announcing this, and what's he saying as we look at this, there's the saying and the signing. That's a bonus for you. You can remember this. There's a saying. He gives them a saying and then he gives them a sign. He tells them about the sign. What is the saying? Verse 11 For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The Messiah is come. He's a fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises. He's come in the city of David according to all the promises. And he is a Savior, he is the Savior. The only Savior, the one who can truly save you. He is Christ, no surprise here. He is the Messiah. He's the Hamashiach, the one who is promised. He is the Christ, and He is Kurios, He is Lord, the, the Greek word really that would be used to represent Yahweh, the I Am of Scripture. He is deity. Later on, the New Testament writers would sometimes call Him the Lord. Jesus Christ, that's the announcement, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, has arrived. That's the saying. What's the sign? What's the signing? The sign, the proof that this is true, verse 12, this will be a sign to you, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Now, this is sort of prototypical for the way that Uh, Old Testament people in particular would find and and understand truth. God would give them, uh, reveal to them truth. Sometimes through a prophet there would be truth announced and there would be a sign of some sort to validate that truth. Now this happened uh, oftentimes with the miraculous, sometimes just historically it would happen. That there would be a, a truth given, a divine truth, there would be a saying, and then there would be a sign as evidence that this indeed was from God. We see this in Exodus, we see this in 1 Samuel, we see this in prophets like Isaiah and Elijah and Samuel and so on. They were given signs to give to the people to demonstrate that what they said was indeed true. In fact, you read this about the whole apostolic period. These apostles were given these signs so that what they were saying was validated. Much like Moses, who was the first, in the beginning of the Bible, was writing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, he was given signs to demonstrate that what he was saying was indeed divine. And so this angel is no different. He's speaking their language. He says, I'm giving you this truth, and here's a sign. You're going to go, and you're going to find a place. I'm not sure exactly how they knew. Perhaps the angel gave them some instructions that aren't recorded for us. He gave them instructions where to go, where to find this baby. And there's going to be a baby, and strangely enough, he's not going to be in the house of a wealthy person or the house of a doctor or a nurse or somebody who can help them. It's just going to be Mary and her husband Joseph, and they're going to be in the common area where people hitch their animals. And he's going to be lying in a manger. And they will have taken cloths and wrapped him. That's your sign, a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. An Extraordinary sign, an amazing picture, an unusual thing. They wouldn't expect this but it's a sign that this is indeed true. What they announced, these angels announce is indeed true. Now, this is similar to the sign that God gives us. He gives us the truth of Christ. He historically he historically validates it by giving us the word of God, witnesses, eyewitnesses of Christ, those who were there, those who lived in that time, those perhaps even who spoke with these shepherds, recorded for us even what happened. And, wrote what they saw and recorded what they saw. Luke himself, at the beginning of his gospel, talks about his, his, his historiography, him going through and interviewing and finding and making sure that this is true and what happened and recording for Theophilus exactly what took place. And so we have for us exactly what took place. God has given us this word and sealed it with these signs. This is not just some bizarre dream. This is not just some high that they're on. This is indeed true. They go. It's part of history. Here is this baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. These are the kind of things that God reveals when He speaks to the kind of people, these humble shepherds. Well, this brings us to number three, the kind of response we should have. There are two responses to the announcement. One is with the angels and the other is with the shepherds. Look at the angels, verse 13. And suddenly, as soon as the announcement is made, suddenly there is with the angel, the single angel, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is one of those rare glances of angelic praise, the angelic choir. All of it happened unexpectedly or suddenly, it says, without warning, without disclosure. The portals of heaven are open. The shepherds saw what few humans would ever see. A huge multitude of angels singing. There's one angel, and then boom, suddenly, there's millions of angels. Well, we know this is a specific group of angels, it's a large group. Same language we see in Revelation for John's vision, Moses' vision, Daniel's vision. Perhaps millions of angels. The word even there, stratias, means it's a type of angel. This this whole stratus of angels, the ones who sing, they show up and they sing. During this time of the year, I love to listen to choral music. I don't sit around and listen to choral music very much throughout the year, but when it comes to this time of year, I love to listen to choral music. And some of these choruses, some of these chorales, these ensembles, they're just tight, they're beautiful, they know how to harmony, do harmony, they move in perfect pitch and perfect harmony. I don't think any chorus on earth would match what the shepherds heard that day this heavenly host singing perfectly, beautifully. More amazing than even that host of angels singing was what they sing. They have this beautiful, poetic, if you like symmetry and poetry, that's what we see here. We have glory and peace. We have heaven and earth. We have God and men. Divine poetry. Probably more beautiful even the shepherds hearing it than our own tongue and their own tongue, it probably rings even truer. This consummate song to God, glorifying God, these perfect beings glorifying, worshiping God for what God had accomplished. They sing on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. And that's a literal translation. Sometimes we're used to something that's a little more generic than that, goodwill among men, but literally, peace among those with whom He is pleased. Some people might think, well, that sounds like God's just looking for people that are good, but that's not the tense of the verb there. The tense of the verb is simply that God has chosen to bless people, to grace people, God has decided in His own sovereign plan to just bless these filthy shepherds. It's not, you've already seen this, it's not because of some great accomplishment of theirs. God has just decided to bless them with this angelic vision. And they're the ones that get to experience this magnificent vision of peace. They're the ones who experience God's favor. Peace among those of His pleasure. Peace among whom He has chosen to delight in, not their pleasure, not their will, not their efforts, not their attempts, peace among whom God has chosen to delight in by giving them the gift of salvation. If you're truly born again, you know of this gift, you know of this amazing peace, you know that it's not because of something you earned or deserved, it's not something you did and you climbed your way to God and God said, well, good job, now I'm going to give you salvation. You know that when God says at the end, well done, good and faithful servant, you're going to take that reward, that crown, and you're going to lay it at His feet because you know it was always Him working in you for His will and His pleasure. It is all God and none other than God, and so you give Him all the glory. This peace, this joy, is for all those who get to experience it. This is amazing. These angels are responding in great glory, praising. Well, how do the shepherds respond? Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Really, this is the right response to divine revelation, isn't it? You can think of it in three simple parts. For one thing, they believed, and we know they believed because they went. So that's the second thing, they obeyed. They believed the angels. We know they believed the angels because they simply did what the angels said. And there's no greater sign of genuine faith, right, than obedience. If you love me, keep my commandments. This is James chapter 1 all over again, right? This is genuine faith. Genuine faith is always followed by repentance. That's why Jesus says you must, in order to follow him, deny yourself, take up your cross, come after him. These shepherds didn't just say, well, we believe. That's interesting. We're not really going to into like, doing all this stuff. We're just going to believe, and that's sufficient for us. No, they believed, and they obeyed. That's what true believers do. They obey. Third thing they did is they praised. Verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. They sang. And singing erupts from a heart that is faithful and obedient, right? I mean, that's how you find a song. You know what it's like to sing the praises of someone who you don't genuinely believe in, who you don't genuinely follow. Maybe you have to have to nod your head and say something nice about a boss you don't like. You know what that's like. But if you're doing it for someone whom you follow, who you love, who you worship, who you cherish in your heart, that, that, that song, whether it's Sunday morning or any other time, driving in the car, that, that song has become rich and full of meaning. That's sort of the final... Thought here, these shepherds couldn't help but erupt in praise for the one who had shown grace to him, to them. I would imagine these shepherds maybe even sang the same thing: "Glory to God in the highest." What a thought! These shepherds going and singing a song they had just heard from these angels. Their, their song was not nearly as beautiful. I would imagine their song was full of missed notes and maybe messed up the words a little bit. But it was still the truth of the gospel of Christ, the Savior, come to the earth. You may not be able to sing a very good song, but the gospel you sing is still good news the same truths that are celebrated by Christians the world over. It's the same truths celebrated by these shepherds. The same truths even sung by angels in heaven. And think about this season as we get to do a lot of singing. We get to sing all these songs. Songs that were sung even by angels. Let's pray that when we sing these things, these are true to us because we've been those who believe and who have obeyed. Let's pray for that. Lord, we thank you so much much for what you've given us. Thank you for the story of these humble shepherds, these humble people to whom you revealed your truth. We pray that we would be like them. We pray that we would follow this in terms of belief and obedience. Teach us these things. Guide us, Lord, in this season. Again, Lord, there is so much to be distracted by. And Lord, definitely from The old pagan ideas of this time of year to the new pagan ideas, mostly commercial ideas of Christmas. Call us, beckon to us to look away from Christ, to look to other things, but Lord, we want to worship Jesus. We want to love Jesus. We want to take this time to celebrate Jesus. Help us remember Him and worship Him in this time. I pray this especially for those who don't know you, Lord. I pray that you'd bless them with a a vision. Lord, maybe it's not a vision like these shepherds saw, but it is a revelation of your truth. Maybe right now the truth of the gospel is dawning on their hearts. Give them eyes that would see. And then give them the desire to believe, to obey, and to worship. I ask that we would all do this, and we ask in the name of Jesus, amen. All right, please stand with me for a benediction. This is inspired by Revelation 22. Let us depart from this place responding to the wonderful call of the Spirit and the Bride to come for all those who thirst to worship the Son of God, the Messiah, Jesus Christ.